Ecclesiastes and you see all the wonderful principles that he is setting forth, as you begin this, you begin to ask the question, how should you approach life? What's life all about? What does it mean? Why am I here? Where am I going? What does it mean for me to be in this world? Am I going to make any impact on the people that I interact among? Some could interpret Solomon as being cynical. And he even even could appear to be depressed at times. But the truth is, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes over and over and over again, here's what you come away with. Solomon is trying to get us to see the world as it really is. Paul summarized it really in one verse in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable or pitiable. You know, if you look at your life and you really don't think about the future that is to be held out for us, living a life in service to God may appear to have no meaning, no value to it. Solomon steps back and he says, look at life. What do you see? What he is going to tell us are some things that appear to be very depressing. Chapter 4 has some powerful pictures of the problems of the world. And he's going to look at it from different perspectives and every perspective from which you approach it, you come away with an understanding that this world has little to offer. He will talk about things that are better in verse 3, in verse 9, 6, verse 9, and verse 13. Clearly, some choices are better than others. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four things that is in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3 will talk about oppression. Verses 4 through 6 will talk about frustration. Verses 7 through 12 will talk about isolation, being alone. And then in verses 13 through 16, unappreciation. So as we approach this, let's look at it and, and take each of these passages And then I'm going to try to, at the end, tie all this together so that we see it as a whole. Look with me now at verses 1 through 3. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. I try to highlight the words oppressed, oppression, and oppressors so that you might be able to appreciate what Solomon is trying to draw It's a disturbing world we live in. Are there people who oppress others? Absolutely. If I were to just give you a few examples, I think some of you would begin to say, I I think I now understand. Slavery, past and present. 
In fact, it was just about a couple hours ago that I read that Nashville is the number three city in the United States for human trafficking. That may surprise you. Nashville is. It may also surprise you that the fifth or sixth county in the state of Tennessee is Warren County. We sometimes think of slavery only as what has existed 150 years ago in our country. Oh, but that's not all there is. Some young girls are taken, particularly those of a foreign nationality. And they are sold as sex slaves to older men into prostitution. You see, slavery, you have the oppressors and then you have the oppressed. Well, we still have genocide as well. You think about the Jewish people, what they experienced in World War II under the Nazi regime. You think about the conflict that existed just a few years ago between Serbia and Herzegovina. The genocide, the killing of people because of their nationality, because of their race, because of their religions. There was a, a, just a major an attempt to wipe out one or the other. Think about the suffering, the oppression that occurs under dictators. Think about what has occurred just in the country of Syria. There are people there who are a part of the Islamic State in Syria. And they are better known as ISIS. And they come into cities and they will say, either you will comply with us or we'll cut your head off. People are oppressed. There's also people economically oppressed. There are people who have the money that they don't want to share with those who do not have it. They don't want to give opportunities. They don't want to give privileges to others that they themselves enjoy. And they want to remain in the power in which they're in. Washington talks a lot about how it would love to correct all the ills, but yet the most protected society are those men and women who are in Congress. Oh, you say, well, maybe we do have oppression in our world today. But you know it's been in the Bible as well. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard the cry before the cause of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. In verse 9, he says, I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. They were in slavery. They didn't have a choice about where they would go, what they would do, or how they would live. Judges chapter 2, verse 18. He says, The Lord was moved to pity with their groanings because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Or Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 7. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases his heart. The oppression there is extortion. Someone comes and says, either you're going to rule the way I ask you to do so or you'll lose your life. Luke 4 verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oh, even sin and Satan can be oppressive. 
Now let's put it in the context. Here are people, they have no power. The oppressors have the power. Here I am and I have no comforter, he says. I have nobody I can turn to. You look at your life and you feel as if everybody has control of your life. You have no choices, no ability to change things. You just have to suffer at the hands of those who have the power. Solomon says that's what your world offers you. Now let's move to the second one. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. And again, I saw for all the toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for wind. Let me sort of combine these things here for you. In verses 1 through 3, the man has no power, he has no ability, he has no money, he, he is at the mercy of everybody else. In verses 4 through 6, though, you have a man that has worked hard, he's made a living, he's worked with skillful hands, and he says, what do I find? I'm envied by my neighbor. So either you are poor and have nothing and you have no power, or you are hardworking, you're blessed, and you're envied for it. The lazy in this passage wants what the worker has acquired. You talk about class warfare against the successful, the redistribution of wealth. That's not new. What you have here is some, like, for instance, who make good grades and they're envied by their classmates who never study for a test, who never prepare themselves, and they they can't believe they got the good grades. You see, it doesn't matter whether or not the teacher gives you no chance or whether you strive hard, it seems that there's nothing perfect about the world. See, the Bible warns against both laziness and envy. I like Psalm 73. It has such a powerful message to it, but I just want to pull two verses out of that passage. In verse 3, he says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I looked at these people and I saw how well they were doing. I saw what they had acquired. He says, I was envious of them. And then you drop down to verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. Oh, if I only had what they had, I would find happiness. No, you wouldn't either. You see, that's what Solomon is trying to tell you. Either you have nothing or you have plenty. And he says, either way that you go, there's not a blessing in it. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Chapter 13, verse 4, The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Chapter 21, verse 25, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. It seems as if the choice to work and be envied or to be lazy and to be in want doesn't seem that there's 
a middle ground. In fact, that's the reason why I say it'd be better to just have a handful than to have two hands and be envied by your neighbor. Now you see the oppressed, you see the frustrated, and now he's going to turn and look at the person who is isolated or alone. He said in verse 7, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without a companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there's no end to all of his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This is also vanity and a great misfortune. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, will they keep warm? But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, when you step back and you look at what he's saying is, there's many people who struggle being lonely, and they must face the struggles all alone. As you begin to think about who some of these might be who are lonely, I think about those who are widows and widowers. I think about the loneliness that they endure. I know when my mother became a widow, it was very difficult for her. I know that even though you have children, sometimes there's a loneliness there that's difficult to put in words. This young man came by the building this afternoon, very bright young man made a lot of mistakes in his life. He's still young, still has a lot of potential ahead of him. He was talking about he was so hungry, he said, I haven't eaten since Friday. All he wanted was just a little jar of peanut butter if we could give it to him. That's all he wanted. I asked him where he was from. He said, I see some Alabama memorabilia in my office. He said, I'm from Montevallo, Alabama. I said, I know where that's at. been there several times. I asked him, I said, are you going to try to go back to Alabama where your family is? He said, I have no family. He said, my mother died last year. Sister died several years ago. Here he is. He's alone. Has no one. Young man. And when you're young and you're by yourself and you have no one to help you, where do you go? What do you do? And especially when you make some bad choices in life. Or look at someone like Jesus. I think often when we look at him, we tend to think Jesus had a perfect life. Oh, far from it. Do you know that even his brothers didn't believe in him? Do you know when he became an adult, he had no real home to which to go? He said in Luke 9 and verse 58, and Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
or even think at what you find in John 16 and verse 32. Here's the night in which Jesus is going to be betrayed by all of his apostles. And he looks at them and none of them are going to be loyal and faithful to him. He's going to have to face this all alone. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and now has come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. You think about being alone and the sadness of that. In Matthew 27 and verse 46, as Jesus hang on that cross, the painful words says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All alone. When you look at Solomon's perception of life, yes, we come into this world with family most often. Yes, as we go through this life, we we take spouses, we have children. But frequently we find ourselves alone. That's what this world has to offer us. Not very much. Now go with me to verses 13 through 16. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was poor, born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun... They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and grasping for wind. Now Solomon is going to contrast two kings. He's going to contrast, first of all, one Old and one young. Here's the one king who's old. He evidently was born to nobility. But he won't listen to anybody anymore. He's old and he's cantankerous. But then he looks at the young king and his background. One is foolish. One is wise. One is rich. And one is poor. And you say, okay, which one of these was the better? Well, obviously the younger one's the better because he's wise. But if he is wise, and it says for all of this wisdom, those who come later under the sun will not appreciate him. Kings rises and kings fall. And what happens? The guy who comes along afterwards, there's no appreciation for the guy before. 
Look at our country for our leaders. One leader rises and another one falls. And the one who comes after decides he wants to change things from the one before. And the memory of those pass. Who was the king a hundred years ago? Do you care? Does it matter? You see, there's the lack of appreciation. Perhaps he's thinking of David. David was a poor little shepherd boy. Became a wise king. Saul, old and refused to be admonished anymore. And yet now Solomon is king and what about those men? Now, let me try to take all this and put it together. Have you ever felt oppressed? Have you ever felt frustrated because you succeeded, you did well, but then nobody wanted to give you recognition for it, nobody appreciated you for it? Have you ever stood alone by yourself Then have you ever been like the young king, unappreciated because of your background? And you say, I'm starting to see a picture here. Everything this world has to offer, whether you're at the top or whether you're at the bottom or you're somewhere in the middle, the world doesn't have a whole lot to offer. And there's a purpose in that. We sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The truth is, is that heaven is beckoning us. It's saying, this world is not all there is. And Solomon is trying to paint a picture for each of us to see it in all of its poverty. To make us to long. For eternity. The world is cruel. And it offers no lasting promise. But Jesus has the answer. And here's what his answer is in John 16 in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world What Jesus says is, yes, this world offers nothing, but I offer everything. Yes, this world is is terrible. And I return back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most pitiable If all you're living for is to get up and go to work tomorrow, make a paycheck, be able to spend that paycheck, what's going to happen to you one day? You're going to become old. You're going to pass from this life. And then what will you have? When you start thinking about eternity... You need to be thinking about what you're going to have in eternity.
you'll take your song books now, turn to number 655, we're going to sing, there's a fountain free. That fountain is for you and for me. The Lord bids us to come and drink. The offer is to all. If you want to become a Christian tonight, what a great, wonderful opportunity you have. Come and repent of your sins, confessing the faith in Christ and being baptized. If you're a Christian and you need prayers, let's pray with you. Would you come as together we stand and sing?